Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's get into God's Word this morning. We began a new series called Welcome Home last week, and um, we're, we're looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we began last week with something a little kind of humor, something kind of funny, just talking about different family models that you may find in someone's house, maybe even be a model you have in your house. And so I thought we'd start this morning the same way. Um, here's a good one. Family. Like branches on a tree, we all grow in different directions, yet our roots remain as one. Oh, yeah. Now they, get, they progressively get a little more honest, okay? <laughs> Family, a little bit of crazy, a little bit of loud, or if you're from New Iberia, a lot of bit of loud, <laughs> and a whole lot of love. I thought that's a nice one, right? Now this one was sent to me by one, by David O, wherever David is, okay, one of our elders, he sent this one to me in the group, group text with our elders. He said, together, they wash their home be destroyed by children. <laughs> that's an honest family motto. If you have young kids, that is exactly how you feel. I just, I mean, if you wake, I just cleaned this. I just, we j- I just bought this. Why is this broken? How did this hole in the wall, like just whatever. If you got young kids, you understand. All right. Last week I asked you to imagine what life would be like if you were adopted into a new family. Imagine you're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old and kind of understand what's going on in life and all of a sudden you're brought into this new family and you're trying to figure out what's my place in this family? What does this family value? Where do I sleep? What do I eat? What, who do I avoid? All of those questions that you would be asking if you were a part of a brand new family. And as I mentioned last week, that's what being born again is like. When you're brought into the kingdom, you are brought into a new family. And in many ways, you are relearning how to live. You're relearning how to interact with others. You're, you're relearning the value systems of the kingdom of God. You're relearning all of these different things. That's what, when you're born again, you're not just brought into God's heavenly kingdom, you're brought into God's heavenly family, right? And you're giving a gift, a new family. That's what the church is supposed to be, supposed to be a family, I've said this before, but the church at its worst is a business. The church at its best is a family. That's what God has called us. The the church is not this entertainment center where you come and the music is right and tight and we have it just perfect for you and your coffee's waiting for you, right? And and we have everything, like your seat has the right temperature, like you you can pick the, the firmness of it, like you grab the little thing, okay, I want my seat kind of firm and... It's not the church. The church is a family. The church are a group of people growing in the same direction, growing progressively more and more like Jesus. That's what we're called to. The church is a hospital 
for those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are broken. If you come into this church and you don't have it all together, welcome home. Welcome home. Jesus said that. He said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. Now here's the thing about the church though. We don't want you to come and stay that way. You don't go to a hospital so you can stay sick and just relate to all of the sick people. You go to a hospital, why? To get better. And so that's what the church is. It's a place, come as you are, but don't expect to stay that way. God wants to heal you. God wants to make you healthy. God wants to to remove those sinful patterns out of our lives. That's what the church is. And I said this for last week, for those of you who are new, welcome to the family. And for those of you who haven't been in a long time, maybe you haven't been to church in a year or two years, the same is true to you. Welcome home. We're glad you're here. Welcome home. So we're continuing in this book, 1 Thessalonians. And this is a book that was written to, from the Apostle Paul to a very young church. This church was maybe about a year old, right? Give or take a year. That's that's how old this church was. The Apostle Paul had come and he planted this church and preached the gospel and then intense persecution came and around three to four weeks he had to leave this church after only planting it for about a month. And he writes this letter back to them, basically teaching them some of the things that he would have probably taught them had he been there on the ground with them. But because of the intense persecution, he had to leave. So he is teaching them, teaching them, excuse me, these kingdom values from afar. He had written this letter to them after his son in the Lord, Timothy, had come to visit them and, and gave assurance to Paul that the church is still going strong. They're still doing well. So he, this is his joy. This church is his joy, his pride and his joy. How do I know that? I'll tell you that in a little bit. But what you're hearing is the voice of a concerned spiritual father. As we read the book of 1 Thessalonians, that's what we're reading. We're reading the words of a spiritual daddy who was concerned about his children. Paul had preached the gospel there. Many had been born again. And then bam, just like that persecution comes. And he has to leave. But they didn't just persecute him. They persecuted this new young church as well. So he was concerned about their well-being, concerned on how they were doing spiritually. Would they give up when times got hard? Or would they continue? Did they have enough of a foundation to continue to grow? These were all concerns that, that I'm sure Paul had as he's writing this letter to them. He genuinely cared about them. They were spiritual children to Paul. Now, I want us to, before we dive into chapter two, I want us to go back to the very ending of chapter one. This is what it says, 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verses eight through 10. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For everywhere we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't, We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. That's where we ended last week. And what we see here is Paul praising them because of their witness. 
Paul is saying, you don't know this, or you may not know this, but people all over this region are bragging about you as a church. They see your generous hearts. They see how well you received us. They see how you are a light for Jesus Christ. And and I, I celebrated you as a church last week because of some of those very same things. You're an amazing church, a church that can be modeled. You love God, you love people, you serve well, you give generously, you help those in need. You're an amazing church. But one of the reasons why I wanted you to go back to chapter one is this is an important principle for you. It's a good habit to have when you're reading the Bible. How many of you read the Bible kind of chapter by chapter? How many of you, when you you kind of read a chapter and the next day you go to a chapter? Here's just a good habit for you. Every chapter that starts is not a brand new thought. The chapters are all, they weren't chapters in the Bible when when they wrote it. Paul didn't write chapter one. He wrote a letter It was all a part of one body of of wording, one document, if you will. And so it's a good habit to, before you go on to the next chapter, go back and read the last few words of that last chapter because it's almost always a continuing thought. So Paul was continuing his thought in chapter two from what he was saying in chapter one. And he was just calling them an incredible witness, but further back, he was defending himself to them. He was saying, you know what it was like when I came to you. You know what happened when I came. Now, one of the things that was taking place is with that persecution of the, Thessal- the church of Thessalonica, there was a smear campaign of Paul. Those, there were people who, who came and to this church, this young church, and started saying, Paul's a crook. Paul, he's probably one of those just religious peddlers, like there were so many in that day. He's probably one of those people who claim, and they just, Paul just wanted your money. That's probably some of the things that was said about Paul. So Paul's writing this letter to them, and he's, he's teaching them, but he's also defending himself and giving them the truth. That's what's happening here in this chapter. He's saying, I want you to remember what we were really like, because there are a lot of accusations going on around today. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are a lot of accusations against Christian ministers today. There are a lot of things. And listen, it is really easy to start lumping in one Christian minister with every other one. It shouldn't be that way. There are bad apples in every bunch. Listen to me. If you work at Walgreens, I can come up to you and tell you about some bad experiences at Walgreens or bad experiences at Walmart. That does, not pull, that does not make each and every one of them the same. And Paul here is having to defend himself and saying, I am not like them. That's what he was saying. So chapter two, verse one, this is what it says. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. He's saying, wait a minute, hold on. Paul is saying, we went through it in order to preach the gospel to you. You saw how badly we were treated at Philippi. And when we came there, we weren't treated much better. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Verse 4. 
For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Paul here is saying, listen, we were mistreated. Why were we mistreated? Because our aim was not to please people, it was to please God. We were treated poorly because our aim was not to make everybody feel good about themselves and live your best life. He said, no, we were treated poorly because we gave you the truth. We preached the gospel to you and our aim was to please God. Can I just tell you, church, that's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to to not have a secret motive, but to simply love people enough to tell them the truth even when they get offended. Paul was saying this is what we did. We came giving you the truth. We didn't come to trick you and we didn't come to get something from you. We came to give something to you. We came to give you the gospel. We came to preach the truth to you so that you could be reconciled to God. That is the true aim of a true minister of the gospel. It's to give, not to get. It's to benefit God's church in whom we will stand accountable for. It's to bless you and to benefit you. That's what Paul is saying. And he even goes as far as to say, and God is our witness. What is he saying? He says, God knows our motives. God knows our hearts. You may not understand. You may not know. You may question. But Paul's saying, I can stand wholeheartedly before God because I knew my motives were pure. That's what he was saying. God knows our motives. Can I just tell you, God knows your motives. God knows not only what you do, but he knows why you are doing it. Because he knows our hearts. If you, leave, if you live, excuse me, to please God, you will not please everybody. Can I just tell you that? If you live to please God, you will not have the ability to please people at all times. You just won't. You will be misunderstood. Your motives will be questioned. But when you have served God with a pure heart, you can stand back and no matter what comes your way, say, God, you know my heart. You're my witness. You know why I did that. My motives were pure. And you can't please everybody all the time, but when you're pleasing God, you're gonna please the right people at least most of the time. At least most of the time, you will please the right people. And as Christians, I've said this before in the book of Acts, we did an entire message on this, but as Christians, we live for the audience of one. We live to please him because ultimately that's who we have to give an account to. Paul is saying we knew our hearts. God knew our hearts. And a Christian life is not one that's devoid of conflict, just so you know. There will be conflicts in the kingdom. There will be problems with people in the kingdoms, but our aim is to have our hearts right before God. That's our aim. Paul loved the people of Thessalonica enough to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, there were people who were offended that he brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. 
They were offended that he would come and preach about this Jesus and rock their worlds, change, remove their, call out their idols, call out their sin. They didn't like Paul for that. But he suffered anyway because he wanted to please God. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But Paul said, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I want to expose something for a minute. Beware of people who flatter you. Beware of people who speak with flattery of tongue. Because often what you'll find is people who flatter you are often hiding a bitter heart. People who use their words, you're so great, you're so amazing, oh, that's so awesome. Let me tell you what the Bible says about people who flatter. In Proverbs chapter 26, remember, I'm teaching you kingdom principles. This may be things you've never heard before. That's okay. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28 says this. A lying tongue hates its victims and flattering words cause ruin. Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What's the author of Proverbs saying? He's saying, it's better when someone loves me enough to hurt my feelings than when they hate me enough to flatter me in front of my face. I dare you to look in the Bible and try to find even one occasion where the Bible speaks highly of this word flattery. You won't be able to find one because flattery is not a biblical principle. Flattery is not a good thing in the Bible. It's a bad thing in the Bible. If there is a principle, it's a negative one. Now, I want to clarify something because this is the title of my message today. We're talking about the family honor. Everybody say the family honor. So if y'all would give me 40 more minutes, I promise you. I'm joking. (laughs) Honor and flattery are two different things. There's a distinct difference between honor and flattery. And guess what? It comes from the heart. Why? Honor comes from the heart. When you honor something, that's coming from your heart. When you flatter someone or your, your words are you know, flowery and full of flatter, that comes with a hidden agenda and a hidden motive. Flattery is often a smokescreen. Paul was saying, we didn't do that. We didn't flatter you. We came to save you. We didn't come to win you over. We didn't come to get something from you. We came to save you. We have a number of of firefighters in our church, and I'm so grateful for you if you are a firefighter. Thank you for putting your lives on the line for us. Thank you for that. I know there's a number of you in here, but if I was ever in a fire in my family and you show up, it'd be nice if you were nice to me. But what I really care about is you getting me the heck out of that burning house. That's really what I care about. I don't need you to show up and go, hey, this, was, this used to be really nice. I like what you did with the place. Get me out of there. Right? Paul is saying, that's what we did. We did not come to flatter you. We came to save you. We came to preach the truth to you in such a way that, we, that you would see Jesus and be born again and turn from your old ways and follow Jesus. Verse seven, 
As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. This is such a beautiful picture. Paul likens his relationship to the church as of that of a nurturing mother and her child. Imagine giving, feeding your child. They can't do anything for you. The only thing a baby can give you is poop. (laughs) That is the only thing. And maybe take away some nights of sleep. That's probably, that's all a baby can give you. But you nurture it and you love it and you feed it and you grow it. Paul was saying, that's what we did for you. We nurtured you. We helped grow you up. We wanted that for you. Here's the first principle that I want you to see. We honor one another. This is what we do as a family, as a spiritual family. We honor one another. And I'm gonna explain what that word honor means in a moment because this can be misconstrued in, in all of those different things. But we honor up, we honor across, and we honor down. We honor up, we honor across, and we honor down. Honor does not just go one way. How many of you have ever met someone who they they are really, really good at honoring people who have a position in their life? Right? When, When someone has a position in their life, they're really, it's easy, it's almost effortless for them to honor them, but they don't have any friends because they don't know how to honor this relationship. Or even worse, maybe they're really good at this, but you put them in a position of leadership and you find nothing but a trail of dead bodies behind them because they don't know how to honor the people that they're leading. We believe in honoring up, honoring across, and honoring down. Let me talk about this. Honor is a, a lack of honor is almost a pandemic in and of itself in our society. This word honor is almost foreign to us as a culture and as a society. We don't grasp this, but just because we may not grasp this from a societal standpoint does not mean we as the people of God are not held accountable by God to to use this kingdom value. We are called to honor one another. We are a people of honor. Let me explain this. We honor up. Let me talk about what it means to honor up. We honor governing authorities even when we don't agree with them. Even when we don't agree with them, we still honor them. When you dishonor governing authorities, they they may look cute to your friends. It doesn't look cute to God. He does not view it as such. Well, I disagree with them. I didn't say you have to agree with them. You should disagree with them, especially if they're wrong, and you should adamantly oppose them, especially if they are wrong. But you are called by God to honor them. You're called to honor them. I know some of you don't like that, but it's the truth. We're called to honor those in governing officials. If you're in school, you're called to honor your principals and your teachers. You're called to honor them, even if they're wrong. Parents, you do your kids a great disservice whenever your kids come to you. My teacher said this, and you go back, well, I'm going to tell her something. You're teaching them how to dishonor. You are setting them up for failure in life. 
You can, listen to me, let me, I heard one of my principals and I'm like, preach it, but listen. <laughs> this, is, this is how you handle these situations. If that principal or that teacher is wrong, you go to them. You do not dishonor them to your children. You take what your children have said and you go directly to them. I didn't plan on saying all of that, but apparently our principals and teachers in here were praying, so you're welcome. (laughs) We honor in church. We honor spiritual authority in church. And you've heard me say this many, many times before. And I was actually having a conversation with with a dear friend of mine in in the church, and I told him yesterday, I'm going to explain what this means, why we do this. But in our church, we call our pastors pastor. We do. And I want you to hear this. I want to kind of explain to you why we do that. Because I know there's some churches that don't do that, but we do. We call, if, if you are interacting with Pastor Josh Messa, he's not Josh Messa. I don't care how long you've known him. He's Pastor Josh. Why do we do that? When, I, when I'm interacting with people and people go, hey, Gabe, normally right off the gate I go, there's a lack of honor there. And it's not, listen, I'm going to explain why. It's a form of when we call our pastors pastor, what are we doing? We're honoring the relationship and the position that God has given them in our lives. That's why we do that. We recognize, we honor that placement that God has given us in our lives. This is what the Bible says in this, in this same book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. Dear brothers and sisters, Honor those who are your, your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you, you spiritual guidance. Show them respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. The Bible is telling us, honor those, those spiritual leaders in your life. Honor them. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. Listen to this. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit. The apostle Paul is saying, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, Our responsibility is to honor those that God has put in a a place of spiritual authority in our lives. We honor because of the spiritual role God has given them in our lives. Well, pastor, I can hear it. Well, pastor, I went to this church one time and this pastor was abusing that. I believe you. And I've seen it happen myself. But I want you to know something. That pastor will have to give an account to God for what he did. He will. He will have to stand before God for how he abused the flock that God gave him the steward. And he will be held accountable. But let me flip this. You will be held accountable for how you respond to the spiritual authority God has given you. Two wrongs don't make a right. You don't get to do what's wrong because someone else did what was wrong. That's not how that works. You continue to honor. If you're in a place with dysfunctional leadership, let me give you a, a, a very, it's a, a, a detailed Greek phraseology. Are you ready? Leave the church. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
If you're in a place with unhealthy, dysfunctional leadership and you feel like that, then leave them. You may be here visiting today going, I don't know, I'm feeling tug. I feel like I'm supposed to be there. If they're dysfunctional, leave. Leave. You're not bound by some covenantal oath. Leave. Get under a place where you feel confident under the leadership that you're under so that you can obey the word of God and honor them and honor the position that God has placed in their life. We honor up. I can't even fathom calling my pastor, Pastor Jacob, but go, what's up, Jake? I just can't, I, like, the two things let me compute in my mind. Now, out of that relationship, if a friendship is birthed, that's a byproduct. That's a benefit and a blessing. But at the end of the day, I don't need him to be my friend. What I need for him to be in my life is my pastor. That's what I need. What am I saying? When things aren't right with me and my wife, I don't need Jacob, my friend. I need Pastor Jacob, my pastor. When my soul is a wreck, I need him to be my pastor. And you have to first understand that to reap those other things. Because I'm held before God, Pastor Josh, Hananiah, we're held responsible to God for how we stewarded you, not for how friendly we were with you. That's how we honor up. We honor up. Let's talk about honoring a cross. We honor a cross as well. Let me clarify what the word honor even means. Honor does not mean blind obedience. Blind, that doesn't mean ignorance. It doesn't mean I do everything exactly the way you said it, precisely down to the T, without, without asking any questions. That's not what honor means. This is what honor means. Honor is, the, is a Greek word called for timi. It's, it's spelled timi, T-I-M-E, or tim, T-I-M-I. And that word means to value something. When you honor something or someone, you value it. You put, you put a different value on it. You don't treat it as if it is common. When you're honoring a relationship, you value that relationship, right? When you honor someone, you value them. You don't honor everyone the same. There's certain people and certain things you honor more because of the value that it brings to your life. That's okay. But when you have a friend or a brother or a sister, you value that relationship as such. Some of us don't have friends we don't have close friendships or brothers or sisters even in this church because you haven't valued the ones that God sent you. Sometimes you don't have those things because God places them in your life and you completely devalue them. And when you treat them as if they're common and worth nothing to you, guess what? They don't stick around. You have to learn to add a value, attach a value to those friendship relationships. Remember, I'm talking about honoring a cross. You may be great at this. You may be decent at this, but you have no friends because you have not valued them. Honor these relationships. How do you value someone? You call them. Or you respond when they call you. Like Paul said, you love them enough to be honest with them. You tell them the truth. Again, this is very practical stuff, but this is how you interact as a family, okay? Y'all with me? This is how you interact as a family. When you hear a rumor about someone who you value, you don't start the gossip chain. And you don't instantly believe it. 
you go and you confront them with the truth. That's how you value your relationship. Hey, there's some people saying these things. Can I ask you a question? I think I know you better than that, but is that true? I would hope you would tell me if that were the case. I would hope you would tell me if you were struggling. I would hope you would tell me if you do feel like you failed. You honor and you value that relationship by bringing the truth to them. Or when they're acting a plum idiot, you tell them. Are y'all with me? You expose the darkness. You don't perpetuate it. You don't let someone tell you something about your friend and you go tell all of your other friends about it. That's not how you value a brother or a sister. You, you honor them by bringing them the truth. One of the best parts of our church are the personal relationships. It's the connections. It's the feeling of family that you have with one another. And if you value the person next to you, they'll add value to you. If you value them, they will add value to you. I've said this many times, but some, for some of you, the very answer to your prayers, don't miss this, please look up here, don't miss this. The very answer to your prayers have been sitting next to you in church for months. But because you've not valued that relationship or opened your heart to even having a relationship with those people, you've missed out on the value that they can bring to your life. We honor one another. We are a people of honor. This one, I spoke to our leaders this morning, but for some of our other leaders, I want to catch you up to speed. We honor down as well. The apostle Paul did such an incredible job of this modeling. This, he spoke to them like a dad in the faith. He honored them like they were his own children. For the apostle Paul, they, those people weren't an ente means. He wasn't trying to perpetuate his fame and notoriety and get more followers on Instagram. He was valuing them. He loved them for who they were and because Jesus valued them. That's why we value people. Because Jesus died for them. That's why we honor people. Because Jesus loved them enough to lay his life down for them. And if we are his followers, we are supposed to do what he did. And he honored them. We honor down. I'm going to repeat for some of you leaders, you've heard this, but I'm going to say this again. If you're a leader in our church, we value people. We're going to value them. They aren't yours. They're God's. We're not going to treat them like they're yours. We're going to treat them like they're God's, which means we're going to steward them. We're going to be careful with them to grow them up and to nurture them. We're going to care for them and we're going to nurture them. We're not going to use our position in their life to do them wrong or to gain from them. We're going to use our position in their life to add value to them. That's what leaders do. The greatest leader who ever lived was not John Maxwell. It was Jesus Christ. And the greatest leader to ever live, you know what he did? He put on a towel He got down on his knees and he washed the stinky, nasty, dirty feet of his disciples. He served them. That's what leaders do. We serve the people we lead. We add value to them. We come to them as a servant. If you are a leader in this church, that is code word for you are a servant. 
And how do you, I used to hear Pastor Jacob say this all the time. How do you know when you're a servant when you can be treated like one? When someone treats you like one, that's how you know that's really in your heart because you're not doing it for their recognition or their praise, you're doing it for Jesus. We serve people because we'll give account to God. Verse nine. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses and so is God that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Again, like a good leader, Paul has met the needs of his people. Verse 13, which brings me to my last point. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you receive this message from us, you didn't take our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. What do we do? What else do we honor? What do we do as a people of God? We honor the word of God. We honor God's words. We don't treat God's word like it's common. Why? Because these words, the words in the Bible, have the power to drastically change your life if you will let them. So we don't treat it like it's common. I don't care if you were, grew up in church or you were born under a pew. It does not change the fact that God's word can change you. I think sometimes we go, I've been in church for so long or, you know, I grew up Methodist and I kind of know the Bible or I grew up all of these different things and I've, I've been around church, my family was assembly, all, what, it doesn't matter. What matters is, have you let that word transform your life? Have you let it change you? Because it has the power to do that. When you treat the Bible like it's a good idea, maybe you'll open it up, maybe you'll get a few things. But when you recognize that this book carries with it the very words of life, it can and will change your life forever. Let me tell you what this book can do. It can renew your mind. Some of you are stuck with a stinking thinking. Right? Your mind just can't change. You just can't seem to get your mind to stop thinking a certain way. Let me tell you what the Bible does. It renews your mind. I've heard this said in many, many churches before, and this is very common and a little bit cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's the common thing people say, that church is brainwashing you. Yep. My brain needed a good washing. <laughs> if you knew what was in there. This book can bring you comfort. It's nothing like opening up the Bible and the words jump off the page and give you exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. It can comfort you. It can correct you. You can open it up and it address an issue in your life that needs to change. This word can correct you. This word can guide you. I need direction. I need to know what to do. I need to know what God wants me to do. This word will guide you. Pastor, I wish God would speak to me. Open your Bible and he will. 
Well, I'm gonna get real practical before we close. How do I? Pastor, how do I even get into the Bible? I was meeting with my small group and we were talking about this just this past week. Focus on Jesus. If you're newer to the faith, listen, don't go and start trying to understand the book of Numbers. Start with Jesus. Read the Gospels. What are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let those tell you who Jesus is. Then you can go back and start to understand that the Old Testament was all pointing towards Jesus and he was the fulfillment of everything you read in the Old Testament. Have a plan. What I mean by that, some of you are one-year Bible, some of you have other devotional plans. Just have a plan. Don't play Bible roulette. What's Bible roulette? When you wake up in the morning and you go... Because you may not find something God was actually speaking to you. Judas hang himself. God, what does that mean? <laughs> Have a plan. Have a plan. I encourage you if, you, if you at this place, start chapter, read a chapter a day. Read a chapter of the Gospels a day. Just commit, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read this chapter until I start to understand this. And I've talked to many of you. Pastor, I'm just not a reader. I'm just not, God, I don't really comprehend. Thank God we live in the century we live in. If you haven't down, I'm gonna get real practical. If you haven't downloaded the, the Bible app, download it on your phone because it will read it to you. You can put, you can literally cut the Bible app on and it will read the Bible to you. You can have James Earl Jones read you the Bible. Right? It's nothing like Darth Vader reading the book of Revelation <laughs> to you. But just commit to it. Commit to honoring this word. Practically as well, I've heard the question, Pastor, what translation is the best translation? I'll tell you which one, the one you understand. That's the best translation for you to read. Personally, I read the NLT. That's what I preach out of. I like the NCV as well. I like the ESV as well. But find the one that you understand, that speaks to you. If you're reading the King James because you believe it's the only version of the Bible and you don't understand it, stop it. Just stop it. You don't understand it. Why would you read it? Don't go trying to read Greek and Hebrew if you don't understand it. Pastor, this is kind of basic, but are you living it? What I'm doing today is the honor talk. And I'm going to close here. We're going to come back and finish this chapter next week and jump into the next chapter. But I want you to recognize this. When you honor something, you reap the benefits from it. When you honor up, you reap the benefits of that. When you honor across, you reap the benefits of that. When you honor that, even that, in some ways, you reap the benefits of that. When you honor God's word, you get out of that word what it was intended to give you. But when you treat it like it's common, the Bible is not a book of good ideas. It's not some good philosophy or historical account of mankind. It has all of those things in it, but it has in it the power to change you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the power that's in your word. Thank you for the power that's in honor. I pray that we would be a people of honor. I pray that we would honor God even when, we're not, even when it's not reciprocated, even when we don't receive that honor. We would give it. Why? Because we are honorable. And we want to be a people who honor well. So Lord, I pray for your flock, your, your tender flock. God, I pray you meet their needs today. They're the people who've come in in this room struggling. God, I pray you encourage them. Let this week give them breakthroughs this week. Lord, I pray that you would continue renewing our mind and transforming us into your image. And we thank you that you've brought us into your kingdom. If you're here today with every eye closed and every head bowed and you've never been brought into the kingdom, I want to explain that just for a brief moment. What I'm talking about is being born again. And Jesus said this. He said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. That's how you get heaven. That's how your sins are forgiven. That's how you're you're brought into the family of God. It all starts with being born again. And the way that you're born again is a simple process. But it costs. A, you admit Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life that has separated you from a holy, righteous, and just God. You admit that. You bring that to God and you're honest about it. B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. That he had the solution to that problem when he sent his son to pay the price for you and and see you confess. Confess what? That Jesus is now Lord of your life. Not just your Savior, but it's a commitment and a confession that I'm giving my allegiance to him and I'm gonna live my life his way. I'm gonna live for him. If you're here today and you wanna confess that he is now your Lord and that he rose again from the dead and that you're belonging to him, you're giving your life to him with no one looking around on the count of three, I'm gonna just ask you to lift up your hand and I wanna pray for you. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, I wanna be born again today. I wanna give my life. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Praise God. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Praise God. You can put them down. Church, I want us to pray this prayer out loud. And for those of you who are meaning it from your heart today, Jesus is going to meet you. And you're going to become a new creation in Christ. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer.